So uh, hello everyone. Uh, while we wait for a few speakers, um, uh, I know Gaines is going to be slightly late. He's just trying to close uh, some of his, his uh, uh, you know, uh, zero expiry uh, options. Um, uh, you know, uh, I just want to welcome everyone uh, uh, to our crypto and FTX. Uh, what the kind of hell is going on space? Uh, uh, I'm unusual whales, and we're super happy to discuss with both sides of uh, crypto Twitter here. I know the situation is really developing hour by hour, uh, and it's been a super tough week for many, many people. Um, uh, truly unbelievable. And so, uh, you know, I want to kind of put that under context and understand uh, if that this space can provide some help and context for any of our listeners. Uh, I want to introduce Nicholas uh, to the panel. He'll be helping moderate the discussion today. So uh, let's begin. Welcome, welcome everybody. Super excited to have all these speakers. Crypto is not necessarily Unusual Wales's main focus, so I will be relying on you fine folks here on the panel to keep me straight. Of course, none of this that you hear today, folks, in the listening is financial advice. While speakers are talking, other speakers feel free to jump in at any time, raise that hand emoji symbol that Twitter Spaces has so kindly provided us with, just to avoid any kind of feedback or echo coming from microphones while one person's talking. We're going to have a lot of questions to the panel, so I'm going to get started here and introduce issues. So while you are called on, feel free, please, to plug anything that you've got coming out, anything you're working the reference to. So without further ado, let's kick it off. First, we've got Molly White. Molly's a crypto researcher, writer, and critic, and owner of the newsletter Web3. Molly. Back here. Next, we've got Caspiancy, co-host of the Crypto Critic Pod with investigations on Protos. Cass is a crypto critic and researcher. Welcome, Cass. Hey. Next, we've got Kaleo, Crypto Kaleo, author of Something Is Happening and co-founder of LedgeArt.io. Kaleo is a great voice in possibly troubling time. Appreciate. Appreciate you being here. I'm really excited to to. Next, we've got Andrew T. working on Nansen AI, and as he describes himself as a psychometric enhancement tech. Good to be here. And last but not least, we have some other folks joining as well, but we've got Autism Capital. Always has the scoop, especially with FTX, and a great source of information in tumultuous times. Won't be chatting a ton, but they're here to help out answers and questions to the group, and we will read them out. Thank you for coming. So... Just to start us off, plain and simple, what the hell went on with this entire situation? I'm going to start off with Molly here. Can you talk a little bit about the initial Coindesk article that came out Wednesday of last week and what that's led to so far? So anybody on the panel, please feel free to chat. Yeah, I guess the, the quick summary would be that um, Coindesk article came out uh, that uh, had uh, the reporter Ian Allison had taken a look at one of the um, financial documents for a um, FTX International, uh, I'm sorry, an Alameda Research uh, entity, finding that the uh, uh, balance sheet didn't look particularly healthy. Um, there was 14 billion in assets and close to 8 billion in liabilities. Um, and many of the assets that they had 
were um, in illiquid or locked up tokens for these um, low circulating market cap tokens, um, uh, uh, high uh, fully diluted valuation uh, shit coins, really. Um, and that by itself wasn't necessarily bad, but it was, you know, when you look at something like Lehman, they collapsed at a 32 to 1 uh, leverage, right? And um, hypothetically, at first blush, it seemed like Alameda could still be all right. Um, but this led to a little bit of a panic. Um, we got some tweets from a uh, competitor exchange um, CEO, CZ. Um, and I guess there was a classic bank run. And it turned out that in the middle of all this, in addition to these um, potentially over-leveraged books, depending on how you looked at the value of some of these assets, um, it's now since come to light that all but certainly um, Sam Bankman-Fried was using um, deposits to the FTX exchange to try and help dig Alameda out of a hole. Uh, we still don't know the extent of the uh, uh, damage that had been done to user deposits. You know, in a bankruptcy filing today, um, <laughs> we saw a box checked. That means that uh, uh, the entire FTX Alameda, you know, incredibly complex business empire with something like 130 different entities, they might collectively be in the hole somewhere between 10 and 50 billion. So the size of the hole keeps getting bigger. That's a running meme. But yes, it all started out with this groundbreaking report for me and Allison over at Coindesk that um, Alameda wasn't nearly as healthy um, as they've been posturing for some time. Thank you, Andrew. So Cass, as Andrew and the Coindesk article claimed that the balance sheet of Alameda, a crypto hedge fund owned by FTX's founder, Sam Bankman-Fred, held billions of dollars worth of FTX's own cryptocurrency, FTT, and had been using it as collateral in further loans. Cass, can you explain what happened next? You've written a great deal on the flow of tokens over the next few weeks, and uh, I'd love some of your insight here. Well, it's it's been this has been a long time coming this isn't exactly while the reporting is new and i think very important and worth mentioning ian allison by name as andrew did um that uh the, basically this has been a liquidity crisis ongoing since i i want to say uh i think someone pointed to june or or even earlier than that um ftx and alameda both uh have been involved in a slew of tokens. So when we we've, I think there's been some notes getting passed around in regard to what their portfolio makeup looked like for Alameda. And now it, it seems, well, I guess no one has officially said this, but it, it sure does seem like essentially what happened is that Alameda was tra trading with customer deposits from FTX, um, which shouldn't be the case. There should be what is uh, colloquially known as a Chinese wall between the two entities that none of this money should be transferred. And yet, when you looked at, for instance, the Ethereum chain, uh, you could easily see that there were just not quite, the numbers weren't matching up on FTX. Basically, if everyone withdrew all of their Ethereum, it looked like there was going to be some sort of a liquidity crisis. But <clears throat> I think what became more clear is that as the price pressure of FTT, their um, native token, plummeted. And Caroline Ellison, the head trader at Alameda, put out a tweet suggesting they would buy all of it for $22. Um, it, all, it all came crashing down at once. So I, 
I, uh, I think it's, it's not fair to say it was a bank run because this isn't a bank and they shouldn't have been doing what they were doing. But uh, yeah, that I, I think is a, a, a basic explanation of what was occurring. So Molly, now that we've got you back up here with a breakdown of what happened from Cass and Andrew, what's happening now? Could you, could you kind of touch on the full bankruptcy as it's going on? And is Web3 indeed going great? Sure. Um, not sure what happened there, so I missed some of the first part, but hopefully I won't repeat anything. Um, I mean, it looks like, so, you know, initially there was an offer from Binance to come in and rescue FTX, which Binance then withdrew very quickly. Um, it apparently didn't take much due diligence for them to realize that there was uh, some serious issues happening there behind the scenes at FTX. Uh, and so when that fell through, it sounds like SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried, started looking for alternative sources of funding. Uh, evidently, he was in talks with people like Justin Sun to try to find some cash to prop up uh, FTX a little bit longer. And then, uh, you know, apparently worse came to worse and he ended up uh, filing for bankruptcy. So... Uh, you know, the, the Bahamian Securities Commission had already frozen the assets of FTX, uh, which kind of left it up in the air what would be happening with FTX US since they are not domiciled in the Bahamas. But uh, I think the bankruptcy proceedings have now answered that question, which is that people are not going to be seeing the money that they have in FTX for probably quite a while. And if and when they do, it'll probably be at a pretty serious haircut. <laughs> Fair enough, Molly. Thank you so much. Kaleo, you recently tweeted your initial reaction of anger regarding how CZ approached the FTT sale, stating it was, quote, very predatory and irresponsible for the industry as a whole. Molly mentioned Binance's non-binding LOI. Is the way CZ handled things a bad omen for the future of Whoa, crypto you, business? you got to finish I'm finishing the second half of the tweet, man. <laughs> as information comes out, as you had pointed in that same tweet, are you now more accepting of CZ's actions and potential regulation this event might spawn for later? Yeah, 100%. I mean, just like the thread said, where, you know, I think the gut reaction that a lot of people that had that were close to and trusted FTX that were stabbed in the back um was a little bit of anger because it felt reckless right you know it felt like one of those things where he was just pushing the market being extremely predatory toward it and i think part of that comes with you know when you trust somebody you like you believe that they are in the right looking into it and it's one of those things where we were completely duped and as more information came out you know as much as it hurt because you know i, I definitely was hurt by this situation you know, sometimes things that are painful, it's better to just go ahead and get it over with rather than it is to just sit there and wait and say, man, well, you know, could they have potentially gambled their way out of this hole? You never know the answer to that question, right? Like they could have gambled and made it worse while they continued to take other people's funds. So as much as it hurts, it's one of those things where, you know, I think at the end of the day, like it's not CZ's fault that we're in this mess, right? Like it's SBF's fault and whoever else was part of those decisions that led to where they are. 
Icebergy, welcome. Thanks for being here as Gainsey closes out his calls there. This has been a brutal week for retail, and thank you for that response there. So, Icebergy, you've posted about the disbelief over these events. How are you feeling now, especially about the trust of retail? Uh, in the past year, stuff like this has happened, but it kind of felt like the space matured a little bit to where, like, this wouldn't really happen, especially to a guy who's, like, in front of Congress and talking about, like, the financial crisis of the past and, like, how this is not going to happen again. And then just, like, a giant crook and uh, just kind of disappointing and makes you kind of question, like, what's the point of all this? And, yeah, it's been it's been rough. Luckily, wasn't really affected by it, but have lots of friends who were... And yeah, I it's don't really, think this is going to be like over for quite a while. Thank you, Icebergy. Cass, I saw you had your hand up as well when Kaleo was talking. Did you have something to add there as well? Well, yeah. I just wanted to say that I think um, while I agree that overall it's essentially the right moves were made, <laughs> um, I think that there's a point to be made that the reality is what CZ said publicly, which was, oh, I have this large accumulation of FTT and I want to I want to get rid of it but the whole market is a liquid and I can't is just not something you do if you're a trader like if you want to exit in a liquid position you quietly exit it you don't publicly announce it to the world and I think that he's making a lot of bold claims that he you know oh I had no idea what was going on I don't know I knew nothing behind the scenes but I just in a sense I don't really believe him and I do think that this was, it was predatory. And I think it's hard to deny that the result, you know, might be, uh, Kaleo might be right. That might be, it might be good that this occurred, but um, it is certainly a predatory move from CZ. So Molly, in your most recent newsletter, you said when shit really began to hit the fan in May as diminishing crypto prices combined with the Terra ecosystem's collapse kicked off death spirals in the crypto industry that continued through the summer and into the fall, SBF sprang into action. Can you explain what you saw then and wrote about then? Yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> the one thing about writing these things as things are happening is more information continues to come out uh, after the fact. So I was not aware when I wrote that about the allegations now that Alameda may have also been uh, bailed out back then. But um, basically, you know, in the spring and summer with the collapse of Terra and then, you know, Three Arrows Capital and with crypto prices going down, um, a lot of firms found themselves in pretty bad situations, right? We saw a whole bunch of things all blow up. And some of those firms that were in trouble were able to get lifelines from Sam Bankman-Fried, either via FTX or via Alameda. Uh, so he, for example, lent a lot of money to BlockFi and then signed a deal with BlockFi that would give them the option to buy them out. And, you know, they got a line of revolving credit with them. Um, you know, he also via FTX uh, offered to buy or rather via Alameda, I think, offered to. Uh, no, sorry, it was via, via FTX. He offered to, to buy the assets of Voyager um, during the bankruptcy proceedings. So 
you know, there's, there's kind of a lot of, um, bailouts coming from FTX from what looked like just sort of this endless pile of cash that they had somehow acquired. Um, and now, you know, we're seeing kind of the, them, they are in the same sort of position where they're like, oh no, you know, we're the ones who are sinking. And it, for a second, it looked like it might be Binance taking the role of the bailout, you know, provider, but now it looks like there's no one to bail them out. Um, but for a while, you know, SBF was really playing this role of like the savior where he was just offering money to all these different firms to buy them out or, you know, to extend the loans. And, you know, now he's found himself in a really tough position. Thank you, Molly. So next I'm going to read commentary from Autism Capital. If anybody on the panel has any questions for Autism Capital as well, please DM them to me or Unusual Whales. We will be reading out their responses on their behalf for the sake of anonymity here. So from Autism Capital, and I quote, CZ was betrayed. He was the earliest believer and equity investor in Sam and offered to buy FTX so Sam could save face when he found out how bad things really were. Sam was trying to cut out CZ by going to Congress behind his back, and CZ decided that's when he would cut ties. CZ knew he would cause damage by selling all his FTT to cut ties, and he knew there would be a bank run, but we're not sure CZ knew it would end Sam's entire life and that there would this be this much contagion. The consequence of all of this, however, is likely years-long unwinding position for many parties intertwined with the Sam empire who will now find new homes, for example, Binance, or leave the industry completely end quote so thoughts as a panel does anyone have any comments on this maybe let's start with kaleo and then kick it around a bit to start about this potential contagion risk i mean man i i really don't know too much more than anybody else on here man first and foremost you know i can provide a lot of color um to some of the context of the situation but you know as far as commenting on the actual details of what exactly is the contagion risk. I don't think that really anybody fully knows at this point. Right. Um, it's one of those things where I think you just have to sit back and unfortunately kind of be patient with, and, you know, you can be proactive and protect yourself looking and trying to dig. And if there's a name that potentially has anything with that. Try to take care of yourself um, in that app, but it just, you know, like it feels like we're in a slow liquidation cascade, right? You know, like I, I think back to the BitMEX liquidation cascade back during COVID, where Arthur basically pulled the plug on the exchange and saved the crypto markets, what everybody says back then, right? And it happened quickly. And, you know, we wicked down all the way to 3K, um, you know, from 7K. And, the unfortunate thing about the way that this works is liquidation cascade doesn't necessarily happen nearly as quickly, right? You know, the contagion is it hurts one person takes a little bit of time to be able to process that before it hurts the next. So I think we're all in the same boat, kind of just waiting to see, you know, fair enough. Does anyone else have any commentary there before I move on to the next question? Yeah. Just um, speaking to what's happening on chain. I think when it comes to leverage, we already wiped out a lot of people. Um, on the ninth, there was a bunch of liquidations. Um, you know, Ethereum got down close to around thousand bucks per token on a couple places, and that that wipes out a lot of retail traders. But if you look at who's succeeding at the moment, um, the the sort of corners of DeFi that are still growing, you do see a lot of derivatives and you do see a lot of leverage. 
Um, Euler is a lending marketplace that's uh, been growing at a pretty good clip. Gearbox, a lot of these newer protocols on Arbitrum. This is all, you know, areas that a whole lot more retail could get wiped out. And the situation that I'm envisioning, if I want to be a doomer about it, is that there's a lot of off-chain leverage. You know, when um, Three Arrows Capital blew up, they were apparently using a lot of stock in various companies and, you know, uh, unexercised token warrants as um, collateral to get loans. And so if that starts blowing up, that pushes prices lower on chain. And that's where we start hitting the retail guys. Um, we have some pretty big liquidations that are primed for around $890 um, for Ethereum. And I can definitely envision a world where that gets hit. Um, the DGENs are usually pretty good at staying agile and moving their stops and re-upping their collateral, but who knows? Um, we have to see how bad it is off-chain before we can properly evaluate how bad it's going to be on-chain. Thank you. Small cap, I see you got that hand up. What else you got to add to this, man? How's it going? I was just going just gonna to add to the fallout conversation and um, just kind of, I, I guess, what I've been talking in a lot of the, I would say, groups that I'm in about um, fallout. I think some of the things that we're discussing pretty consistently is like, you don't really know um, it, whether it's going to be a fun to blow up or like you're hearing a lot of whispers that you can't really trust, but about a lot of these projects having their treasuries and things like FTX or BlockFi. Um, and, and you don't really know, even if you're investing in stuff you think's extremely solid, where some of those funds sit. So I think like collectively we need to do a much better job of kind of demanding transparency around um, the projects that openly hold these funds. Um, but it also, it, it's kind of scary like investing in almost anything right now because you don't know um, where a lot of those funds sit. And I, th I think the thing that really scares me, and this would be my doomer view um, is the clawbacks around bankruptcy court. So when you're looking at something like FTX going bankrupt um, in in the U.S., I believe it's 90 days. They can do clawbacks of deposits, withdrawals. Um, in the Bahamas, from my research, it looks like six months. Um, so I, I don't really know how to unwind that, but I, I think that's pretty scary um, to, to think through of like, hey, how, how are they going to go about this? If some of the people who are getting withdrawals the last few days, um, are they just going to try and claw some of that back from users over the last three to six months? That's That's a ton of funds coming in and out. And um, it's like, hey, now that FTX US is involved, which Sam was lying about up till yesterday, um, I think it can get messy pretty quick. So like, I would just say, I wouldn't be surprised if the US, um, like they put some pressure on Tether to freeze some Tether funds yesterday. I wouldn't be some surprised if they um, put some pressure on some of these um, centralized exchanges to um, halt like withdrawals and onboarding just to make sure that they're protecting some of the bankruptcy that's going on. So, I mean, that's probably one of the things that worries me the most, but um, it, like, like it was just mentioned, you can't really tell what the fallout um, is going to be probably here for the next couple of weeks, but we know that there's going to be other, other projects and um, exchanges floating to the surface. Beautiful. Thank you. I saw that Molly and Cass both had your hands up. Let's start with Molly, kick it to Cass, and then I'm going to move on to a question for Avi. Yeah, I was just going to add that I think we also need to pay attention to what institutional exposure there is to the, you know, FTX, but also to Alameda. Um, you know, I think we've already seen BlockFi pausing withdrawals, which was pretty much expected since they are 
so reliant on uh, FTX for funding at this point, but I think we'll probably see other um, sort of cascading failures as um, other projects really can't handle their exposure to FTX. So, you know, even if you didn't have funds on FTX, you know, you still might end up with exposure to a company that was, you know, um, hit by some of the fallout from this. Yeah, and I, I quickly just to, this is piggybacking off of originally what Andrew was saying, which is that we've seen a lot of public liquidations and we've seen a lot of on-chain liquidations, but what we haven't really heard from is private funds, private equity funds, hedge funds, um, venture capital. So there are, of course, rumors going around and there's statements, for instance, from Genesis Trading, and these statements have been weird. I think is the right way to put it. They've been here and there. They've been saying one thing, but then saying a different thing the next day. And where have we seen this before? Um, and we're, we're also, you know, Sequoia. Like there's just numerous funds that have a lot of money and a lot of positions intertwined with FTX and Alameda. And they're not keen to talk about it because they don't have to yet. Um, so yeah, as all of these people have said, I suspect we have yet to hear from those funds yet. Perfect. Thank you. I have a question for autism about contagion risks. They have any ideas on that. Have you heard any risks from outside the SOL FTX ecosystems yet? And while we await their response, Andrew, the optimistic doomer that he is, just spoke about off-chain risks. A rumored report came out that Crypto.com KuCoin, who has denied this, are also affected by the FTX bankruptcy. Crypto.com also just published their treasury as a result of this mess. BlockFi just announced withdrawal shut down. Galaxy Digital noted $71 million on FTX, and Genesis noted $150 million. Avi, welcome, by the way. If you were trading this, how would you manage risk in these contagion events? You've been speaking a lot about Tether recently. Uh, hey, um, yeah, so I've said publicly that the tether short is um, somewhat speculative. I think that the baseline case is that they're okay, but that there's a substantial minority risk of a bank run. And if there's a bank run, then you kind of want to be the first one out. Um, so that's my thinking on tether. Uh, I have not been very uh, proactive in doing trades um, and following everything. But I think in these environments, it's often perfectly fine to just sit and do nothing and wait for some really good stuff to come along. Um, and I've just been kind of exploring arbitrages. Uh, it's actually a really neat R between the CME futures uh, and spot prices uh, that I've been working on scaling up. Um, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not keen to take real directional risk, uh, with this much uncertainty. Um, the other thing I'm exploring is, uh, potentially buying up FTX accounts. Uh, although I feel like the bankruptcy probably drags out three, five, maybe more years. Um, so you kind of have to be willing to make low ball bids and, and sit with your capital for that long. Um, so those are the kinds of stuff I'm exploring now. 
Thank you, Avi. And and since you also joined, and, and again, really honored to have you here getting your feedback here, what are your takes on the FTX debacle from a holistic perspective on what happened this week at the moment, given this volatility? Um, so, I mean, I think a lot of what Sam has been doing in the last few months is kind of extremely ironic, given uh, what, what came out this week, um, in retrospect, uh, all the talk about uh, lending and risk engines and bragging about uh, how good their risk management is and then going to Washington and trying to regulate everything um, is kind of thrown in a different light. Um, I still feel a little mystified at how they managed to lose that much money. I think that we don't really have the full story um, and I'm curious to see what comes out. Uh, I guess the next document probably once they do their, their day one bankruptcy where they have the actual balance sheet and not all these leaked stuff, but the real public filing, that'll, that should be very interesting to watch. Thank you very much, Avi. So to move on to the next question here, Nance AI has recently stated that <clears throat> Binance has $74.7 billion of tokens, of which 40% are in its own stablecoin and native coin. Could Binance suffer the same fate of FTX? I'd love your views here, Andrew. Yeah, when you're looking at exchange flows, um, I'm, I'm sure there's a ton of exogenous risk for Binance, right? There's a lot of regulatory risk. Um, there's a lot of different law enforcement agencies who would like to have a chat with them and are probably more inclined to uh, really double down and try and do so right around now. Um, but if you're just looking at what's happening on chain, they're incredibly healthy. Um, they have net inflows on a seven-day basis. Um, a lot of people are experiencing really eye-popping outflows. Um, you know, OKX has seen 842 million um, in net outflows. KuCoin has seen 555 million in net outflows. Uh, Binance has money coming in. Um, Maybe it's because uh, uh, this is all psychological and it's animal spirits, and so people think CZ is safer. But um, whatever it is, and publishing you know, this proof of reserves that um, everybody can check out uh, using Knots in Portfolio, um, they look healthy. Um, but some of these smaller exchanges, they're seeing a lot, a lot of outflows, especially given their size. And now if they're running a normal business, normal exchange business, that's fine. You can't really have a run on exchange if, if you're doing things normally. But as we've seen recently, apparently people in the industry have problems running normal fucking businesses. So, you know, if you want to worry about exchanges, I totally understand. I would just look at, you know, there are other, you know, uh, uh, perhaps uh, less healthy options out there to keep an eye on. Thank you, Andrew. Quick correction. I said nonce AI. It is nonsen, as Andrew just stated. That is my bad. Misspoke there. So, Cass, you've said, I think Binance is, as much as they posture otherwise, in a very vulnerable position. Can you expound on that a little bit here, Cass? Sure. I think Andrew just touched on it, actually. Like, uh, regulatory risk just got crazy. I, like, I would not want to be CZ right now. I would not want to be dealing with the compliance and the regulatory issues that they are facing. They are the only gay in town. And when he says 
every regulatory agency wants to talk to them. And I think a better term would be wants a piece of them. Uh, I think that's correct. I think that's absolutely 100% correct. And that would be, I, that would, I know it's a primal fear, but that would be my number one fear right now. I think what you mentioned before also though, uh, the fact that it's mostly BUSD and uh, BNB, or not mostly, but large minority um, in their reserves is a little troubling, but um, I, I'm not, <clears throat> the, the cascade of everything else uh, could put a lot of pressure on them in other ways as well, I would presume. So um, yeah, I think, I think there's certainly issues there and concerns that can be logically and rationally considered. Thank you, Cass. Molly, I would love your view on regulation risks and regulation paths going forward, especially given some of your advocacy in this space. Yeah, um, well, I think that, you know, regulators were just talking to Sam Bankman-Fried recently. He was giving his opinions on regulation. A lot of people in the cryptocurrency industry are well aware of that because he was, you know, sort of advocating against um, DeFi in some ways. And um, I think, you know, the lawmakers who saw him as sort of the adult in the room are going to be thinking twice about that. You know, they're going to be um, watching as what they saw as like a large trusted exchange just blew up. And, you know, this guy that they were meeting with was clearly doing some shady stuff, you know, behind the scenes. Um, so, you know, I think that's going to really make an impact on um, the legislation that has been developing so far. Thank you, Molly. Does anybody have anything additional to add to what Molly and Cass just said? All right, so moving to the next topic, Kaleo and Icebergy. Many have said that the SEC was late in investigating FTX. Hester Pierce, one of the SEC chairs, was Bloomberg earlier noting that this incident is partly the SEC's fault by not giving the right clarity and rules. As active traders, do you think the SEC is indeed partly to blame here? Let's start with Kaleo and then kick over to Icebergy. Oh, man, that's a tough one. Uh, Got to keep those loaded questions rolling, man. Man, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, at the end of the day, I could there have been more done to stop this? I mean, FTX.com officially was not, you know, in the jurisdiction for the SEC, right? Like, so it, it's just, you know, obviously I think what we're seeing though is there potentially was some type of contagion risk even for US, which was supposed to be a completely different entity. So that in and of itself, um, you know, is worth looking into and maybe they could have done something there. But, you know, as far as what actually happened with .com, I don't know what the SEC... Fair enough. Icebergy, any comments there? Do you feel the same as Kaleo or differently? Is the SEC to blame? Or I'm also curious to see how you feel about the uh, regulation paths forward. Yeah, I don't think the SEC... I mean, other than like the... Uh, yeah, they, I don't think they could have done anything. They pushed all these companies out of internationally and it's kind of their fault for for doing so, but I mean, it shouldn't really affect, uh, I mean, technically Americans aren't supposed to be trading there. So, uh, you know, but the, the block folio and block and STX us. So there's, 
something weird that happened there that I don't know what really happened. I think a lot of the responsibility kind of relies more on the the, like VCs who invested into FTX because just looking at the things that are coming out now with their balance sheet, they had like no real money and they were just keep raising rounds and people were just giving them more and more money. Um, Even if you look at their, uh, um, what's it called? their organizational chart. Like something is so off about the whole thing. And it's just like all these people are just throwing money around, not really doing any due diligence and just being like uh, blowing smoke up Sam's ass. And no one like looked into this a little bit further. It was like in their um, their balance sheet now, it's like $2 billion in serum, which you cannot sell, a uh, billion dollars in Seoul, which you might be able to get some of that out. But yeah, like they just had no money. And I don't know how that got by so many like professional investors who are supposed to be doing all this. Uh, did and they just a... not want to uh, look into it because they were scared themselves or just thought he was uh, trustworthy enough that they didn't have to? So just as a follow-up there, Icebergy, how do you think this changes VC coins and ecosystems in the future? Uh, I mean, most of the valuations and stuff that people invested in are not going to get any of their money back. Or they'll get a big, big markdown. Um, the VC chains, I don't know what's going to happen with like Aptos and Sui, the new ones that are coming out. Uh, you just got a lot of people who want to get out and just are de- kind of done with crypto. Um, so I don't know. It's going to be hard for those new chains, new VC coins. Um, what could happen with like, um, like Solana or something, you just need like a, a strong dev mind share where like people actually want to build there, not just chasing like cash or, tokens like the people who like really believe in this stuff they have to build like a hardcore like community who will stick around even if prices go perfect thank you i've also got a comment from autism capital about the sec topic quote the sec met with ftx in march to basically give ftx and sam a no action relief A no action relief is a mechanism that allows people to obtain certain assurances when their conduct may touch upon a gray area of regulation. They went on to say that this by itself isn't damning per se. It just shows that they met and discussed. And to the rest of the panel, do you have any other commentary on the subject of the SEC? Uh, Just, I guess, a, a data point that shows you where we are. In the past uh, 24 hours, FTX International has processed over 40 million in withdrawals. Um, it wasn't supposed to be processing any. Uh, in some of these leaked financials we've seen, they only have 900 million in um, tokens and uh, cash on hand. So 5% of what they have is gotten to, to leak out ostensibly to residents of the Bahamas. Um, the entire GDP of the Bahamas is about 340 million. And 40 billion has gotten out. And so I, I think that there's a lot of 
likely illegal stuff happening and you you can sort of watch on chain in real time as rats are fleeing this sinking ship you know Bergy was talking about people wanting to get out there's there's some like palpable panic around ftx and its entities and um yeah the lawsuits are gonna in the wake of this exchange collapse, many have reiterated the saying, quote, not your keys, not your coins. Small cap, what do you personally suggest for retail still involved in crypto and heavily hoping for larger bounces? I mean, everybody should be buying a ledger. Um, I personally don't keep anything on exchanges if I don't have to. I only use them for on and offboarding. Um so I, I would highly recommend that if anybody has um, any money on exchanges to pull it off, it doesn't matter if I think if you feel like your exchange is a trustworthy one. Um, I think for a lot of us, FTX was really the blue chip. So if that says anything, like in, in times like this, it's better to be safe than sorry. Um, if one ETH equals one ETH or one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin, that's only true if you really are holding them yourself. So get a ledger. Um, protect yourself and pull everything on chain that you can. Thank you, small cap. Molly, you were recently asked at the crypto conference if Web3 is bullshit. How does the FTX collapse affect your view? Um, I mean, it doesn't really affect my view that much. I don't think FTX is widely considered to be Web3. You know, they're kind of just an exchange. Um, but, you know, I, I think it does expose a lot of the issues of the cryptocurrency industry where one of the most trusted and, you know, largest crypto exchanges was on such uh, shaky ground for so long and yet was still able to stay afloat because nobody knew what was happening behind the scenes, you know, and then when people started to suspect that something was wrong, everything unraveled in like a week. Um, you know, we know that we know now that stuff was going on behind the scenes at FTX that was clearly not above board. But like, it makes me wonder, you know, what of these other supposedly above board exchanges and other crypto companies, you know, are doing similarly shady stuff and we just haven't found out about it yet. So as a quick follow up, Molly, do you have any insight on possible risks down the road as well? I mean, I think the biggest risk to crypto and Web3 is stuff like this keeps happening, right? Like, this is a huge blow to crypto across the board. And, you know, I think a lot of people in crypto are trying to be like, oh, but it's, you know, this is a centralized exchange. So, you know, it's only bad for CFI, not for DeFi. I think the people who are saying that are probably overestimating the extent to which the general public actually makes those kinds of distinctions. Um, you know, people who are not that familiar with crypto see the headlines in, you know, the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, and they say, oh, they see that, you know, oh, crypto just blew up. They don't say, you know, CFI just blew up. Uh, so I think, you know, making, you know, continued failures like this and like the ones I tend to point out on my website are really the biggest risk to crypto. If, you know, if crypto can't get this shit under control, you know, it's kind of going to be a death by its own making. Thank you, Molly. Kaleo, last question before you have to hop away. How does this change or enforce your views on crypto? You know, one of the things that I was talking about yesterday on a space that I had was just how, you know, we brought it up earlier, but the not your keys, not your coin concept, right? Like, you know, I remember listening to an Andreas Antonopoulos uh, YouTube 
uh, talk that he gave back in 2017 when I was first learning about the space. And I remember how paramount that idea was, how integral it was, right? Because that's one of the main value propositions of Bitcoin, right? Is the fact that you don't need this centralized entity to be able to control your keys, to be able to have custody over your coins. So, you know, and all of that stemmed back from the Mount Gox days, but you look back to where we are now, and I think a lot of us, even people that have been around for years, just got to a point of complacency where, you know, it almost felt like some of these organizations like FTX were too big to fail. When you looked at the billboards, when you looked at the different partnerships and everything else, you know, the lobbying, the political lobbying, this, that, and the other, it seemed too big to fail. You know, so now we're at the point where the contagion from this is a lot of it just stems back, not just for the general public, um, but, you know, for crypto natives as well. Do I think some type of complacency as far as that, you know, as far as an exchange is concerned, I don't think it should be the primary place of custody for anybody. And that the, uh, you know, like it is a tool to be able to trade on, to be able to buy, sell, trade, do whatever. But outside of that, you know, it's being very aware that there are very real risks associated with not having custody of the uh, coins yourself. So just real quick on that, on the uh, that same topic there, Icebergy, I'd like to get your input. And Kaleo, thank you again for coming, of course, in case you have to dip out before we kick back your direction. So thank you again for coming, Kaleo. But Icebergy, I'd love your feedback there as well. I think we maybe got a little bit ahead of the skis on this one. Um, like, there's been so many hacks and stuff in DeFi, and, um, you know, like people not securing their keys and like losing access to money. Um, but I think like we didn't realize it was kind of like still really, really early days for like DeFi. It's like really clunky, um, it's not very user friendly. Um, and people who probably should got involved, who shouldn't have, um, even like people building out coding stuff. Um, I don't think they really knew like the risks that they were getting into. Um, so I still think like DeFi and like payments and like money that you can transport, like transport across borders, like, um, like capital flight for people who might need it really is an important thing that like the world needs um, because like there's not really there are other ways like if you're in like a country that has like strict capital capital controls to get out but it's really really hard um, and like the the OG like Bitcoin vision of like a payments platform store of value um, I still think has a a role in the world. Um, I just still think it's like pretty early and I think like the the dreams were like higher far-fetched and like what was really achievable now um, you can see like the the groundwork being laid but I think people think that the groundwork being laid now was like all that's ever potential or like this is like what it is I, I still think like there's a lot of work to be done and like the user experience, the like um, user experience, like fees and like uh, 
also like um, wallets and stuff like that to like make it a better user experience where like you're not losing your keys you have um, social recovery where like um, yeah like you'll be able to get your money if you ever lose it um, and then what Kalea was saying about the leverage thing is uh, there are a lot of people like over leveraged like um, the thing about the leverage stuff in crypto like BitMEX back in the day like people didn't have all their balances on exchanges you would use leverage so like you could have some of your money there and trade but you wouldn't have to have all of it and I think people in general kind of forgot the not your keys not your coins and like kind of all the things that the OGs like drilled into people for like reason, you kind of thought like laughable, like this wouldn't happen. And I don't know, it kind of just shows that the people who've been around a really, really long time kind of still know what they're talking about. So I don't think it gives me doubt that like anything we're building may have value, but I still think it's so early that you can't really judge the past couple of years on the future. So, yeah, that would be how I'm thinking right now. Perfect. Thank you very much, Icebergy. And I've got one final broad question to the panel before we move on to closing thoughts. So my final question is this. A lot of news sources and all over social media, everybody's comparing this situation to the Lehman brothers saying that this is indeed the Lehman moment for crypto. And I'm wondering how you all feel about that. Is this that big? Is this the Lehman moment for crypto? And as a quick reminder, Lehman took around four years, some argue more, to fully resolve. Cass and Andrew, I'd like to get your input here first, and then we'll kick it to the whole panel. I, uh, I, I do think that this is... Um the layman moment, but I think in a sense it's worse because it's layman uh, uh, that it, it was uncouth, but it, it was legal. Um, and, it, and the unwinding process took a long time, but everything essentially, even though it was bad for customers and bad for the economy and arguably bad for society, it was all above board. Um, this is like combining Bird, Bernie Madoff and Lehman Brothers into one sweet pile and I think uh, the ramifications are actually going to take longer and be nastier for customers and, uh, and worse for the industry. And, and I work in this, in this industry, so um, I, I certainly don't want to see the whole thing just vanish overnight. Um, and I, I don't, I'm not suggesting it would, but I do think that this is reminiscent of that moment, but it's, it's worse. It is, it is worse as an industry. Um, especially considering how small the industry is in comparison to the overall financial industry. Andrew, your thoughts as well? Yeah, I think I think there's two ways to look at it. One is from a perception or even a spiritual angle. And in that regard, uh, this is a million times worse than Lehman. This is utterly catastrophic. You know, um, crypto is not an industry that's known for picking good heroes. And SBF... Uh, he, he's different. How much of that was branding and how much of that was actually him as a person, uh, we don't really know yet. I think we're waiting to sort of see come to light, you know, what choices he made that got us here. Um, and so in that regards, it's horrible and this is going to be historic and remembered for XYZ reason. Um, talking about 
the scale of the financial damage. You know, Lehman, you know, kicked off a ton of contagion and killed global markets for many years. Um, by contrast, DeFi is working fine. You know, nobody's had to dip into their insurance pools. The Aave security module hasn't had to backstop any bad debt. Um, you know, we actually saw Alameda on chain. They liquidated all of their on chain loans because, you know, you have to. <laughs> um, you, you don't have to go through bankruptcy when you're in DeFi. You don't have to trust. And so if you wanted to put that cute little PR spin on it, I don't think that's what I'm trying to do here. Um, but I've seen some people try. I just don't think this is the moment for that. Um, but I'm, I'm speaking just more honestly. Everything's like fine. There's even a few places where um, you can uh, uh, bet against or on the Tether DPEG. Like this is a very resilient, self-sufficient system. Um, and uh, uh, I will reserve the Lehman Brothers moment branding in terms of damage. Uh, when some of these liquidation cascades start coming in and we start hearing more about who was hurt and, you know, which protocol dev teams can't operate anymore. I've got a quick comment from Autism Capital on this topic. And then, Molly, I saw your hand up. I'll call on you right after I read this out. From AC, yes, it is potentially worse relative to crypto. The amount of contagion from Sam's empire collapse will be insane to witness. A lot of important operators lost money with Sam. And worst of all, he embarrassed the people who promoted and associated with him, including the entire Democratic Party. So, Molly, I saw your hand up there as well. Did you have some extra comments there on that topic as well? Yeah, I mean, mostly I think I was going to echo what Cass said, which is that I think this is maybe more of an Enron than a Lehman Brothers, just in terms of the fact that it's looking like there was probably some fraud happening. Um, but I was also going to add that, like, the Lehman moment really was enormous for kind of the whole world and you know there was the financial crisis that affected an enormous group of people i think it's important to just like this is the layman of crypto maybe but you know i don't think it will have the broader effects on you know people who were not necessarily involved in crypto um like you know the layman moment did um it's just what i was gonna thank you much so small cap real quick do you agree as well? Is this the layman moment for crypto? I think so. Yeah, I, I think I think it's going to be a very big mess to unwind, as I kind of brought up earlier, with uh, different bankruptcy courts, possible clawbacks, and I, I think it becomes a huge headache when you talk about how global it was, and you have like customers from every jurisdiction. You have the U.S. piece, all of the fraud. I, I think it's just going to be extremely hard to unwind and get settled. And, I'd be pretty surprised if it was all taken care of in the next four years, um, if, if that's how long it took Lehman to unwind. But um, I, I think with that said, um, when Lehman really happened and the housing crisis kind of uh, like really like fell apart, um, it became probably over the next what year in 2009, um, like one of the best times to actually buy housing. And some of the people ended up um, making fortunes off of it. Um, I would say not today, um, but in the near future, there is going to be some genera generational wealth made from um, really this collapse, in my opinion. So it's just about staying alive and making it through it. Um, and I think there will be um, some light at the end of the tunnel here shortly. But 
maybe not shortly, but there will be light at the end of the tunnel and the people who stay involved and keep eyes on the space are the ones who will make it out and um, have the wealth to show for it. Thank you, small caps. So here I'm going to move on to closing statements. Thank all of you speakers for coming. Of course, I'm really happy to have you here. It's been a really great discussion. So I'm just going to go down the line once again, just like we did at the beginning. Please plug anything you're working on, any newsletters you've got, anything you've got coming out. Please plug that here. Let's get some people over there and keep learning from you folks. So We'll just go right down the line again. Any closing thoughts and anything to plug, Cass? Uh, yeah, so I I know that we didn't touch on this, and it's outside the scope of uh, finance in in some sense, but I do want to talk about Sam Bankman-Fried's effective altruism and his concept of, you know, I'm going to give away all of my money. I don't even need to necessarily have the money to give away. This uh, It's... It's, I feel like it's been infecting the world, and to me, it's just a red flag. I see it a lot in the cryptocurrency industry, this idea of, like, it's all for the better of the world. And I feel like there's a lot of dishonesty around that, and we're seeing it play out right now. Um, and I, I, I see it as a red flag. I want, I want everyone to kind of look into effective altruism because I think as much as it's grounded in a concept that sounds nice, it's mostly – uh, trumpeted by a bunch of rich people and question it and question people who are telling you to trust them if they, they're saying they're doing everything for, for the betterment of society and the world because they're probably... Thank you much, Cass. Do you have anything you got coming out in the near future that you'd like to plug? Uh, uh, nothing in particular. I do a Crypto Critics Corner um, and I work for Protos, P-R-O-T-O-S. So uh, you can find me on either of those platforms. Thank you so much for coming, Cass. Everybody check out Cass's pod and give him a nice little follow. You're going to learn a lot from this guy. Moving on, Molly, anything you've got to say here at closing? Anything you've got coming out you want to plug? Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to add that, like, I think there's kind of this perception sometimes when things like this happen that people in the sort of crypto skeptical side of things are all celebrating and think it's, you know, hilarious. And I just want to really point out that like, this sucks so bad. And if you were affected, I'm so sorry. You know, the people like to put blame on people for putting money into projects that later fail. And they'll say, you know, you should have self-custodied your coins or you shouldn't have trusted Do Kwan or whatever it might be. Um, but, you know, in the end, you still lose a lot of money and it still really sucks. So I just wanted to sort of add that, like, you know, I'm a crypto skeptic, but I am really sorry for people who are affected by this because it sucks so bad. And I think that's really important to expound upon as well. Just that entire notion of empathy does seem to be lost sometimes in the world of finance. So I think that's a really good thing to bring up, Molly. Thank you. Up next, Iceberg, you got anything coming out? Anything you want to plug, man? Uh, no, I mean, if crypto fails, I guess I'll just join the, the tech people and launch like an AI startup. <laughs> so Iceberg if dead, I'll <laughs> look for fundraising for an AI startup. You know, and then maybe someone will create some fraud there. We'll have, and I'll have to go back to crypto, I guess. <laughs> Fair but enough. I'm just going just gotta survive the next uh, months and just uh, see where the dust settles, see what uh, survives, and um, 
what's interesting is like the hardcore like builders and the people who like stuck here forever they'll still be here i don't think they're going anywhere just like the tourists and people looking to make a quick buck um they'll probably be gone and the people who are like really interested in the technology and actually like believe in this stuff will likely stay around and mistakes from the past that i've made is just completely writing off any of this and not paying more attention to what people are actually building and yeah i think that kind of goes with anything in life um just don't still be curious and like be interested in things and if this isn't like what you're interested in then you can always just go do something else too so yeah thanks for having me up friend i first agree thank you so much for coming as well Andrew, anything you want to add here at closing plug? Anything you got coming out? Yeah, um, Nonsense is a great platform. I'd encourage people to go check it out, especially during times like these. Um, very good way to watch what's actually happening on chain because um, sometimes it runs contrary to what the headlines are saying. And um, it's a great way to stay informed and surface the signal from the noise. Um, I briefly say, too, that, you know, uh, uh, a lot of people are hurting right now. There's a lot of spiritual malaise, I think, um, in addition to attracting a huge number of criminals, grifters, and fraudsters. Crypto also attracts a lot of optimists, and I'm one of those optimists. I think I'm sharing the immense disappointment and anger and, and tremendous sadness that a lot of people are feeling right now. Um, but I'm, I'm a short-term doomer, I think there's uh, yet to be a lot of pain on chain. There's a lot of people who are going to get even more hurt because of this, and we just haven't seen or heard of it yet. Uh, but long-term, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a real believer. I think, you know, the idea anybody anywhere in the world right now can go get a loan, and there are programmatic guarantees that they will not be discriminated against or redlined or something like that in the process. Um, that's remarkable. The technology is neutral. The outcomes are not. This is an unambiguous good for the species in my mind. And um, in a dark time like this, I like to keep my, uh, my mind on that. Um, you know, for a minute, everybody thought we were going to get rich and go buy West Ham. But uh, we'll, we'll maybe get back to that again, just not right now. Thank you so much for being here, Andrew. Really good feedback this entire time. It's been really great having you here. Small cap, anything to add, anything to plug here at the end before we wrap up? Just thanks for having me on. Um, I really appreciate it. And I, I think a lot of the people on this panel can kind of hear it in their voice, how defeated and kind of depressed everyone are, or everyone is. So, I mean, um, I think a lot of us didn't see this coming. So the, there's not much you can do, um, but keep your chin up. There'll be better days in the space and um, we'll kind of take it from there. Um, I do have a podcast. If you guys are interested, feel free to follow me. It's in my bio. Um, it's called Market Capping, where myself and DCF God talk about the market, different DeFi projects, and um, really just dive into what, what's happening at that current week. And um, that's really about all I'm working on from my standpoint, though. And thanks again for having me on. Thanks again so much for coming, small cap. And before we close here, we're going to wrap up here with a message from Autism Capital, who you should all be following. They'll be covering all of this and updating moment by moment as it happens. The most based citizen in journalism and crypto and a little word of wisdom from Autism Capital to close us out here. 
Effective altruism is a scam for people to use rationality as a way to wiggle out of moral responsibility. Kicking back to that discussion about making sure you know what's being said when people are saying it and what they really mean. So that concludes our FTX and crypto space today. Thank you all these speakers for coming. Make sure you're following these folks to stay up to date on the situation as it unfolds. We will be back next week on the unusual whale spaces to cover the parent company's ticker gram f earnings next week on monday it is this entire space has been recorded so if you came in late and feel like you missed anything you didn't miss anything at all this will be released later today as an unusual whales podcast on be on the lookout for the parent company's earnings next week on monday and a potential macro space to follow later in the week thank you everybody for coming and have a great rest of your day and weekend.